Well, I was actually pretty lucky to get that role through my connection with sports grad. I had the classic imposter syndrome, didn't think I'd be good enough to apply for a sports role and I hesitated and I waited basically two or three weeks since after I saw the application online and then I reached out to Kate through, I think it was through sports grad and basically just, you know, said, I'm interested in applying, is the the role still available? And she said, basically, yeah, get it in immediately and you'll be in contention. G'day, friends. Coming up on today's episode is Maddie Reith. Have you ever dreamt of working for your favorite NRL team or at the FIFA Women's World Cup? Then today, you're going to learn how this former early childhood professional made a career change into sport. We go deep into the process of getting jobs at the Brisbane Broncos and at FIFA events. So if job applications are tripping you up, Maddie has amazing advice from jobs she's won this year. Not to mention how Maddie became the top membership salesperson at the Broncos in a matter of months. All that and plenty more coming up. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sports, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grow Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the mythical Reuben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. Also that you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in sport. Rubes, how are you, mate? You've had a big, big week or so. G'day, Ryan. I'm doing terrific. Thank you. It's my last day in Portugal. I'm getting ready to, to head to London because the uh, the Socceroos are playing at Wembley against England, and uh, I've had a bit of um, uh, I've, I've, I've I've had a big few weeks of European football. So I've been in Portugal for a few weeks now, and I've seen the three biggest clubs in Portugal all play. That is Sporting Lisbon, Benfica, and FC Porto. And one thing that um, I've been told is that 95% of the country goes for one of these three clubs, which is just mind-blowing to think about. And um, I've realized they do, they, do, they do sport pretty differently over here in Portugal compared to what we're used to in Australia or what you might see in, in the US. So I've experienced, you know, pre-game at, uh, at, um, at Benfica where there's a lot of flares going off. There's a lot of hooligans in, in T-shirts wrapped around their face. I've been to uh, the sporting match where, you know, you've got the scarf in the air, you're singing the song as the match kicks off. Been to uh, Porto for the Champions League match against Barcelona where they're handing out flyers left, right and centre to every single seat. The Porto fans are a lot friendlier. But um, the most interesting thing that I saw was definitely at the Benfica game. So these Benfica's the biggest club in, in Lisbon. I'm not sure if they're bigger than Porto, but they, they seem to have the most money in the competition. And they got the biggest stadium, and um, and uh, when I arrived at the game for the Benfica match, this is Benfica versus Porto, by the way. So it's like the Portuguese El Clasico. It's the equivalent yeah. of Collingwood versus game. Carlton Broncos. Yeah, Broncos versus Roosters, and it is the most savage environment I've ever been to in my entire life. <laughs> so pre-game. Match hasn't even started. There's seven flares going off in one of the active areas. And within within like 30 seconds of these flares burning out, the fans decide, I don't need this torch anymore, so I'm just going to toss it onto the field. And all of a sudden, there's three, like, literally seven torches flying through the air, landing on the pitch. Security does nothing. No one cares. Just another day in Portugal. Then halfway through the second half, at the other end of the ground... An entire row of seats from one end of the bay to the other reaches under their chair, rips out a whole bunch more flares. And so now you've literally got 20 flares in a row, like literally a straight line of flares held up in the air, people waving them back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. I was like, oh my God, like this is the most incredible atmosphere I've ever been a part of. There's already been like 30 flares and and, uh, and the, the match has barely begun. Then we get into the game and 
anything that went against Benfica was just met with boos and, and hissing and like at like the the most horrific tormenting you've you've ever seen of an opposition side like (laughs) if i was playing i'd I'd go to water and melt against the benfica fans like it was it's crazy and uh particularly after the game benfica won the porto team form a huddle and walk over close to one of the benfica active areas and uh the benfica fans decide this is a great opportunity to hurl even more abuse. So they come running down from the stands, trying to get as close to the fence as they can, start hurling things at them, like literally throwing cups and um, bottles, whatever they can get their hands on, like throwing it at these professional footballers because they don't want them to come back to Benfica. (laughs) They've signed to Porto, you guys lost, get out of here, we're better than you, go home. The Porto team then make their way off the ground and they have to go through the race you bet the Benfica fans come running down to the race to just absolutely give it to them on the way out. They even start shaking like the the shelter that they have to go through. There's like this little portable shelter and they start rocking it back and forth, trying to torment them. They're giving them the finger. The Porto players as well, they're giving it back to the Benfica fans, which I found quite hilarious. They were, they were getting involved in it too. So I was sitting there the entire guy, entire time going, this is unbelievable i've never seen anything like it before and um but then the most interesting part was um after the game there were literally like hundreds of riot squad police officers standing around the ground and i was like what's going on here like is, is a riot about to break out and that's exactly what they were fearful of and yeah so there's about five thousand porto fc fans tucked away in the little away section and the away section of this ground has got a fence around the entire thing so that Benfica fans can't throw stuff at the opposition fans or they can't break into the area and start a fight. So it's already hostile enough. Now they have to try and get these fans out of the stadium. And um, they wait an hour for the match to end. And then the police sneak them under the stadium out the back door, down and around this um, driveway, on onto the buses and get them out of town without being seen by Benfica fans. And it was like a... It reminded me of the movie Troy, where they like silently just like go into the city and, the, and then disperse. But the Porto fans had clearly been told, like, don't make a noise, no chanting, like, don't attract attention because we don't want, you know, like a 10,000-person riot to, to blow up here. And that's when I was like, wow, the football culture over in Europe, over in Portugal in particular, is uh, is very different to uh, to what we experienced back home. Yeah. I was going to say, like, <clears throat> like, flares are banned here. Like, if someone whipped out a flare here, they'd be banned for a serious amount of time. So it's just like, it just shows it's a completely different world over there compared to here. Um, but I'm not sure what I'd prefer... I don't think I love the fact that there's flares flying around, but the passion is so good there. Like that just would have been insane to be a part of. Um, so yeah, it sounds just extremely cool, extremely stressful, <laughs> and I'm glad you made it home in one piece. Um, that's all I'll say. <laughs> nice, mate. Well, sounds like you're on a bit of a footballing adventure, which is unreal. Um, so, yeah, it's so cool to hear all about it. Um, let's get cracking because this episode is a ripper. Um, absolute star. One, another member from our community. So, let, let's jump in. Um, if you don't follow us already, follow us on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with us and hundreds of other people working in the sports industry, you can jump in and become a member of the Sports Grade community. Rubes, there's plenty happening at the moment. We've just done a drop of new members. Um, what's been happening as of late? Yeah, that's right. We made a few changes to the community and welcomed in uh, 60 new members last week, all annual members as well, which we made a change to as well. So 60 really committed people who are driven to invest in their career, who are going to be a part of our group for the next 12 months and hopefully they become sports grad pro members after that once they get a job in the industry and start to make an impact 
So uh, welcome to those guys. That meant that our most recent speed networking event on Monday was our biggest ever. We had 45 people join that. A lot of new introductions created between people. A lot of people with a chance now to follow up with some new people in their network, which is amazing. So um, thank you to everyone who came along and made that event such a, a great one. Um, we've also got some great events coming up. Phil Ludlam is coming in from Champion Data to talk about graphic design and data. So a space that we haven't covered off too much before. So that'll be super interesting for those who want to dive into that. And then another topic that we haven't dove into before as well is eSports. So we're getting Chris Smith, who's an absolute expert in this space, to come in and talk about the massive industry that is eSports. So if you want to uh, learn about that and the opportunities available there, get along to both of those events. Otherwise, if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on at SportsGrad, get some quick tips and advice about job hunting and sport, make sure that and to get on that, head to the URL, sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to join, where you can also find a link to it in our show notes. So uh, the community is going off, right? It's a, it's a great time to be around it. It is, mate. And our new cohort, like speed networking the other night was off chops. It was uh, it was very, very busy. So uh, it's a great time to be a uh, SportsGrad member. In the meantime, this is a cracker episode. So let's get cracking into it. Grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Matty Reef. Before we jump into the episode, we've got a quick message from our good friends at Deakin University. Deakin has been a huge supporter of sports grad since day one. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialized knowledge in sports behavior, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, and strategy, take a look at Deakin's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Maddie, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. It's been a number of years now listening and following along. So, yeah, my time has come. Well, we're very happy to have you on, Maddie, and we've loved having you around the community and seeing you at events and seeing your name pop up on Discord every single week. And um, this has been a big year for you because you've landed a couple of amazing jobs, one of the the mighty Brisbane Broncos and another at the FIFA Women's World Cup. When you tell your friends that you are working at these organisations, how do they respond? Because they're two of the biggest you can get in Australia. Exactly. Yes. No, it's... It's a dream, really. I still have to pinch myself as if to think, how is this real? But I guess my friends, they've always been big believers in, in me more than I have, so they're not surprised. <laughs> Whereas I am definitely, yeah, disbelieve how it's happened. But no, they're very excited and they're just happy I can finally get paid to wear the merch that I so uh, have much enjoyed wearing over the years. <laughs> It's always a bonus when you get paid to wear the merch. It uh, is, yes. Rather than just fangirling or fanboying, whatever it might be. So, uh, no, nah, it was, we felt the same, Maddie, when we could wear Cricket Australia merch. It was like, oh my God, I, I don't just look like a crazy fan here. I'm actually getting <laughs> paid to wear it. So, it was a nice little, uh, little transition, which is, which is good. Yeah, it's a feeling of pride, I think, as well, to know that I especially have supported the Broncos and I guess women's football for so long that it's just been like a full circle moment. So no, I've been very lucky and I feel very grateful indeed. Awesome. Uh, as you said, you've been a listener for a little while now, so you will be pretty familiar with how this goes. But for those listening in, we love our quick fire questions. Uh, so these are designs that our listeners can learn a little bit more about you before we jump into the episode. So I'll, uh, I'll kick start from the top. Uh, keen to know, what was your first ever job? <laughs> well, it was when I was 13 years old in Dunedin, New Zealand. It was a paper run. So it'd be snowing, hailing, raining, pitch black, sunshine. I'd be out at 6am every school holidays. I wasn't allowed to do it in the school term. Delivering the local Otago Daily Times. 
the Otago Daily Times. That is amazing. <laughs> I um I did the newspaper drop as well, and um, it's character building to say the least. You learn a lot about yourself when you're out there on the streets by yourself, just going to letterbox after letterbox, and you've got you know seven hundred things to drop off, and there's no end in sight. So. Um, now I can understand how you've got to where you are, Maddie. That's that's great intel. <laughs> that is the key to my success. My twin brother lasted one morning, so there we go. <laughs> it's not for everyone. <laughs> no. Awesome. Only the best jump into it. Literally. <laughs> All right. What what are you what are you studying at university? So my, this is my second degree. I'm doing Master of Business and Sports Management at Griffith University online unfortunately because of COVID and then I just kind of kept going online but I did do a Bachelor of Teaching in Early Childhood Education in New Zealand before that so a bit of a versatile background. Nice. Uh, You mentioned you're a big Broncos fan, might be giving this one away but what's your favourite sporting moment? Oh... It's actually could have not... been a couple of Saturdays ago, Sundays ago. So. <laughs> it's actually not. That's not my favourite moment. That was probably that's definitely top three. The favourite sporting moment. It felt cliched saying it. I think after working for the Women's World Cup, but literally that quarterfinal goalkeeper shootout. I think the key moment when Maka went to take the penalty and obviously missed it, and then. You know, went back into goal and put up those huge saves. Like her mental strength and resilience was just like incredible. Goosebumps. There was tears. Like to me, that was just wow, mind blown. That is my key sporting moment for sure. I reckon there'd be uh, a lot of people with that answer now if we went back and asked all our guests. That's <laughs> a, a phenomenal moment. Yeah, I was lucky to be in a corporate suite for that one, actually. So, yeah, it's well. Oh, wow. <laughs> not bad at all. Okay, here we go. It's all about who you know, guys, not what you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, classic case. <laughs> awesome. And last one, if you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anyone, who would it be? Oh, there's quite a few people, but one I was thinking of actually only the other day, which is probably very random, Anastasia Palaszczuk. Mainly because I'm curious on how she can block out the haters, how she can, you know, step up every day, do her job and just keep going when for everyone I know and all the papers and the TV, it's just constant negativity, constant, you know, hatred, constant negative noise that she somehow just is able to push aside, keep going, achieve big and, yeah, I would love to know how. (laughs) as the, uh, the the Queensland Premier for those not uh, in the northern state of Australia. Usually people sort of jump in with a, their favourites, you know, athlete over their time and I, I like the politician avenue. I know, it's very not like me, but I I don't know, I think I'm trying to do a bit more self, I guess, self-training or self-education, self-awareness and I think that can only help better in so many different ways and I guess because I've never been a very talented athlete, more so an avid sports watcher. Maybe that's why I'm going down that path, but no, that was the first one that came to mind. Solid. All righty. Well, Maddie, let's, uh, let's touch on the beginning of your career because, you know, we want to take you back as to what you were doing before you jumped into the sports industry. And, and then we're keen to understand sort of what made you realize that you wanted to make that switch and ultimately saw the light. Yeah. It's a bit of a different, I guess, path to most. So I was an early childhood teacher in New Zealand for three years. Then I moved to Canada, to Whistler, where Australia, I believe they call it. And I was a ski instructor for a year. I unfortunately tore my calf and my MCLs. So I had to come home. And it was more so working in a bike shop in Canada. I was the happiest I had been working for my entire adult life. I wasn't even earning much, wasn't doing a lot, but I loved downhill biking. I loved being around, I guess, people so passionate about what they were doing. And then I realised I want to have that passion, that vibe when I go to work that I had during this little tiny bike store in Whistler. Came back to New Zealand with my injured calf and knee and basically just typed into Google 
women's sport or athletes or something because I had done this big list about things that I actually enjoyed watching or listening to or learning about. And then a Bachelor of Sports Management popped up in Australia at uni. And I was like, oh, yeah, that looks really interesting. And so I booked a flight to come over to Griffith Uni Open Day and spoke to the head of, I think it was the head of P. PhD program or something and he's like why are you applying for a bachelor's like you've already got a bachelor of teaching and yada yada just ended up basically yeah telling him my passion for the 2015 football women's world cup how I had never really watched soccer before and then suddenly I was obsessed and then he decided to let me into the master's program even though my grades weren't quite up to scratch from the teaching degree but don't worry I've got a 6.2 high distinction average now so, yeah, went over and started the sports management degree and then realised this was my, my place. Although I did still a nanny for a few years while at uni, including David Warner's children. So there we go. There's a sport connection there. Wow. That would been a great thrill. And how long did it take you to um, get that first bit of sports experience? Oh, it was tricky because I started the degree... 2018 in October and then basically did the first year was too busy focused on you know studying getting back into being a mature student and then COVID hit and that basically took out a lot of time to get into the sporting world into events into anything really because not having that base in Australia family or friends or anyone I I guess was so focused on just making do I was studying I was casually babysitting but then eventually I joined up to Griffith Sport Leaders program so through the university and did some volunteering there and then I got an internship through my own doing at Events Management Queensland so for the Pan Pacific Masters Games so I created my own little I guess entry point as that was one difference I noticed that university didn't do here that I'd had in New Zealand. They provided practicums, they provided placements. And I was quite, I guess, disappointed initially. But then I realised this is a strength because I went out and got it myself. It's a good way to differentiate yourself when no one else is uh, doing that and you can just waltz through and um, and find that yourself. Um, so you, you came across with this entire skill set and then transferred it over into the sports industry. What did you find was essential in... Um, articulating the skills that you had and making an employer think I could use Maddie in our organisation despite not coming from a typical sports background. Yeah, that that was actually my main concern initially too, moving into the industry. But I think using that, I guess, perceived weakness as a strength only benefited because I was able to showcase the transferable nature of the skills and how just because I don't have the specific hard skills doesn't mean I can't be taught them because I've got the required soft skills, which is actually something I'm now using in my recruitment journey in my current job. Because if you can, you know, be hold a conversation, communicate, show empathy or just, I think, show that you're willing to try and willing to learn and just willing to put yourself out there, That's that, that stands out a lot compared to if someone has, you know, worked in that role before or had the experience beforehand. So I think, yeah, confidence was definitely a key one there. Is there any one particular thing that uh, early childhood learning taught you that you've carried into the sports industry? Yeah, for sure. I think into communication skills and interpersonal skills and just recognising that everyone learns differently, everyone is different and that we all have something to share and we're all equally as important as each other and I think it's really helped in teamwork especially with FIFA having to get a team together that quickly and get results you know to a very high standard (laughs) it definitely helped for sure and probably problem solving as well is is an easy one (laughs) early childhood learning uh often there'd be many problems day to day so um yeah I can imagine that would be definitely one to to carry over um Let's um let's chat about some of your past roles as well. Like as we said, you know you're pretty heavily involved at the Broncos as a memberships officer. Um, what did that application process look like? Well, I was actually pretty lucky to get that role through my connection with Sportsgrad. 
I had the classic imposter syndrome, didn't think I'd be good enough to apply for a sports role and I hesitated and I waited basically mm-hmm. two or three weeks since after I saw the application online and then I reached out to Kate through, I can't remember if it was through SportsGrad or through LinkedIn. I think it was through SportsGrad and basically just, you know, said, I'm interested in applying, is the, is the role still available? And she said basically, yeah, get it in immediately and you'll be in contention. And I was very lucky to have got a phone call. I was riding my bike along the Broad Beach bike path that I was getting an interview. So <laughs> I was very excited. Did you meet her at the meetup as well? Uh, well, I was already working there when Oh, you're already there, yeah, the yeah. 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 No. Kate Cullen being the general manager of people and culture at the at the Brisbane Broncos, who um, has an important, pl- important part to play in your uh, recruitment as well. Um, but once you once you got those interviews at the, at the Broncos... Exactly right. She be chinny. <laughs> That's right. Once you got those interviews at the Broncos, what what did the process look like? Was it was it group interviews, one on one? Who like what sort of people did the Broncos bring in to, to chat with you? And um and um if you can recall any of the questions, that'd be fascinating to learn as well. Ooh, it was in the boardroom, so it was overlooking the training field, like the Clive or oh, going to test me, Clive Berghofer. I believe, Berghofer Centre. And so some of the boys are actually training out on the, the field. So I was very overwhelmed. But it was Kate Cullen and uh, Louise, who was my immediate manager. So she was in the interview as well. And it was very informal. We we kind of just sat down and had a general chit-chat to start with to, I guess, ease the uh, nerves. And then some of the questions were... I believe this is going to test my memory. Oh, they actually, I think, asked something about five years or ten years, like where I see myself going. Because then we had a a meeting once I was already employed, where we spoke about our goals for that for that year, and I was still in my six month probation period at the time. And I remember asking a bit nervously, like, oh, I'm still on probation. Like, how honest are we supposed to be? Like, <laughs> just to, you know, <laughs> just test the waters. And then yeah, Kate piped up, Maddie, we've known from the minute we, we met you, you're ambitious and have got big, big plans. So don't worry, put, put them all down. <laughs> yeah, nice. Forget about the probation. Yeah. You're all good. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Didn't need to worry. <laughs> That's really cool. So it sounds like it was a pretty simple process. Was it just the one interview and then you're in? Because uh, we had um, another Maddie R on the podcast not too long ago, Maddie Ryan from the Carlton Football Club, who's a memberships officer there. And um, I think they put her through three or four different rounds of interviews before they let her in the door. So um, to hear about the process of the the Broncos is... uh, Interesting for us to be able to compare like for like because this is a very popular entry-level job. So there'll be a lot of people listening to this going, how do I do it in the AFL versus how do I do it in the NRL and, and what's it like? Yeah, for sure. And I was very lucky to only have the one interview, which I'm not sure if that was how the Broncos always do it or if it was just a special case. I'm not sure. But it was, yeah, it was very good to know quickly as well because I had a few other roles that I had to you know, either let know if I was coming or going. And I've definitely had other positions with one more step, but so far I've been very lucky to only have two maximum. So can't even imagine three or four. It's probably like when when they know, they know, right? Yeah. Like if they met you and you had a, you obviously made a really good impression, um, do they need to have three interviews? Probably not. So it's probably because of the impression that you made that you didn't really need to go through this long process. Like one chat is often enough when it's the right person, right? So um, we'll put that down to uh, to you. Uh, I'm sure most other candidates had go through three or four oh, rounds. Easily, maybe, so, uh, so that's fine, yeah. Um, but in, re- in regards to that role, like memberships officer, um, what does that look like sort of day-to-day at, you know, arguably the biggest NRL club in the land. Yeah, it was it was a very hard decision to leave the role. I have such huge love and 
I guess, passion for the Broncos and for the team and for how I was made to feel working there. It was an incredible first job into the sporting uh, world. And I had a Christmas party, actually, I think week two. So that was a nice little welcome party. Thanks, guys. But basically, we'd come in, we'd have a little meeting in the morning, go over the plans for the day. If we're focusing on inbound or outbound calls, we could have had a campaign we were going on at the moment. And it was then hitting the phones or one day a week, you'd be on their mailbox replying to fan mail from all from new members or membership requests or following up on, I guess, payment plans because we did chase a fair few uh, payments that <laughs> were slightly late. But uh, I, I had never done a role like this before and I was very honest about that from the get-go, but I ended up, yeah, becoming their top sales officer. So it was an incredible incredible role to to learn more about the sales environment and we got to do a disc profiling course which was incredible because I had never heard of that before and but making up to 120 phone calls a day was a lot (laughs) but it was an incredible experience to get to know the very passionate very passionate Broncos members because it's obviously one of the, the the biggest and loudest and most passionate loyal fan base is around but yeah I was very proud to get them to the 40,000 member mark which has not been achieved before and yeah let's let's see what they can get to next year. Why do you think you were so successful immediately was it you're making more phone calls than anyone were you having better conversations were you just better at getting people to say yes while you had them on the phone like what do you think you'd put your success down to? It's a funny question because I guess there's two components to it. Yes, I could see that I was making the most calls most days, which was a very easy KPI, obviously, to factor in when you're looking at everyone's stats in front of you. But I think I think it was my, my greenness that actually paid off because I didn't go in, I guess, cocky. I didn't go in thinking, oh, I'm you know, really good at this, so I know what I'm doing. I went in just like me. And I went in and I just, I enjoyed chatting to them. I always enjoyed chatting. But I'm also very passionate about the Broncos, so I can talk about them quite easily. And I, it was, wasn't hard to sell a product that I loved and that I'm so passionate about. So I think that definitely helped. And I'm not sure if I would have had the same success if I was at, say, the Dolphins or, I don't know, any other club. <laughs> but also, I really enjoyed the targets. I really liked knowing that if I hit five dime memberships that day, I could get, I don't know, a dinner out or something like that. Like I really enjoyed that competitive nature to it. So that they incentivized you appropriately then? We, we did get some very good incentives, yes. <laughs> That's a hoot. Nice. That's good. How many deals It reminds me of, you, um, you know, the scene. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you go, Rick. I was going to say, it, rem- it reminds me of... Um, the scene in um, The Pursuit of Happiness where Will Smith is uh, making the phone calls every single day, but uh, to try and save, like, seven seconds per phone call, he, like, doesn't put the phone down. He just, like, rings the next one without kind of hanging up and ending the phone call. And he, like, does the calculations to work out. He can get, like, an extra 25 phone calls in a day, and that means he gets, you know, an extra five sales or something like that. So I don't know if you were doing the math on, you know, the... um, ergonomics in your chair of how far you've got to move between each phone call so you can maximize your sales but uh whatever you're doing works yeah. it's definitely not doing that but i did get them to purchase me a double headset as the Ooh. single one i could not hear while typing and so now i did get some uh, adjustments made to that but otherwise nice. i don't know i think well, there's a great hack. Luck. yeah the double-sided <laughs> yeah mm. Right. It was too hard otherwise. Then people were trying to talk to me in the office and I was mm. just blissfully chatting away. <laughs> no, that's good. It sounds like you kind of had the perfect, you know, recipe. You know, like you're a fan of the Broncos. You, like, loved what you were doing, but you also you were green at the same time. Like you weren't like a rusted-on <laughs> salesperson who've done, who's done this for years. It was kind of like... You were new to it, so you had all the enthusiasm in the world to get it done. And I reckon, yeah. you know, that's probably what they loved about it. It's like you 
you're really yeah. good at what you do, but you were super enthusiastic about it. And that is perfect when you're trying to sell something to fans, you know? So mm. it sounds like you, um, you really just had like the winning combination, which is, which is awesome. I like to think so. And I know the senior manager did comment that when she would overhear me on the phone, it was like within minutes, I sounded like I'd known these people my entire life, which she said she loved. And that was definitely the key to my success. So that was a really nice thing to hear. And yeah, it was, we were always sad to leave. So it was a very tough decision making, making that call. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, can we, can we ask you a similar set of questions about the FIFA Women's World Cup? How did that uh, experience compare? How did you get that opportunity? And, uh, and what was it like day-to-day -day during the tournament? Yes, no. So FIFA is without a doubt the best, what was it, 10 weeks, of, I think the job was, of my, of my life. I actually got the job through reaching out to someone on LinkedIn. I'd been a little bit of a shark on there. Maybe not so bad, but and a shark. I, I love that. I, Great term. I, <laughs> we should I be using that going forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a LinkedIn shark. Shark. Literally. That's so you good. Know, <laughs> <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it and I couldn't see any jobs coming up that I was interested in or that I had any experience in. And then I saw accreditation one come up and I had no idea what that even really was. And I reached out to the manager. I don't even know if I knew she was linked to it. I think I just knew that she'd worked in accreditation. I just asked her advice, basically, what do I need to do to get a volunteer position? Because that's where I came with. I came with the perspective of I'm going to work at the Broncos and I'm going to volunteer at FIFA. And then I spoke to this lady online and then she basically said, why are you talking about volunteering? Like, I would love you to apply to work in my team. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is escalated. <laughs> and I basically, uh, yeah, sent her my resume and then she basically just told me the pros and cons, obviously, with contract work. You're giving up that permanency and you're giving up the, I guess, security notion of it all and i did a classic maddie and i did nothing for about three weeks i think and and then i realized no 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 what am i doing and i messaged her again and i don't know why she still wanted to talk to me, <laughs> but she she said give me a cv right away they're doing interviews and the next day I had an interview locked in with two different people who were just working as part of the general uh, HR team for FIFA. And it then took about oh, three weeks to find out, I think, if I had the job. And that was probably the most nerve wracking bit of it because I was cutting it very fine for the four weeks notice. I had to give the Broncos and then when the job would start. So I basically quit the Broncos without knowing officially I had the job which was wow. a bit risky, but I had had her assurance through LinkedIn again that I had the job. Shark. But, <laughs> exactly. But I didn't have the official contract. And so, yeah, there was about four wow. days where I was panicking that I made the wrong decision. But, yeah, and then we yeah. hit the ground running at Sports House. What was – um, what was going through your head for that little period? Like, and, and what sort of – I know you had like assurances, but it's always risky, right? That's like kind of the golden rule of the game, you know, is like don't don't, don't quit unless you have something. Um, what was sort of going through your head and were you just super confident that you were, you were perfect for that job? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> oh, I'd be lying if I said that. No, I was, I was very nervous, I will admit. I was, I was worried that I'd thrown it all away just especially like to leave the Broncos. So I guess, but I wanted to be confident in the fact that no, you've, you've worked hard. Like you've put the hours of hours of volunteering in, like you've got the job at the Broncos. You've obviously interviewed well, you've put across a good image. I just had to be confident in that really, but I was definitely worried, especially not having your yeah, family here or anyone to fall back on. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, I figured sometimes you just have to take those big risks if you want to, you know, nail the big jobs. So, yeah. 
Well, it ended up leading to the greatest sporting moment of your entire life. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you yep. probably look back in hindsight now and think, why, why did I yeah. wait? Why was I so hesitant to take on this incredible opportunity? But um, I thank God it all worked out for you. I do definitely think that. And I also regret now not applying maybe for the Cricket World Cup that we had before that rolls. But I actually have the winning match ball from that uh, greatest sporting moment of my life too. So I was very lucky to be given that as a part of just knowing wow. the right people and doing the right job. So I've got the ball downstairs. So, yeah, it's a <sighs> great memorabilia item. That oh, are you kidding me? Stand. No. I, you I have the ball up, from the yeah. sem- from the. Semi-final. You have, yeah, yeah. The quarter final, yeah. yeah. The the penalty shootout yeah, the ball. Well, there was like six. Is in your house right now. <laughs> that they use, but I have I have one of them. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. What so the you heck? have you have the Vine Time ball. I do have the Vine Time the ball. The Mac the Mac attack the, the yeah. The, Call the it what you will. That is incredible. I know. I was. That, you, yeah. You're sitting on a gold exactly. mine right if now. If you ever I, come I into a spot a where you need a bit of player. cash, that would go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could take yeah. out a mortgage on that ball. No, I'm, I'm going to get a little stand for it and put it in oh. my, my new house that I'm moving into next week. <laughs> get a glass box around it. That is elite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get, get, get 24-7 security on that yeah. ball. Don't, don't ever let that leave your sight. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. very, very, very lucky. Yeah, oh, that's, that's going to be the greatest perk I've ever heard of. It is, it is a good perk. No, FIFA were very good to us. So, yeah. Can you can you reveal how you managed to secure the ball? You said you know the right people, just, but I think that's it's just it though. Like I just knew the right people. I made the effort to get to know everyone, and some people didn't view it as a strength, but I didn't let that interrupt who I am or how I operate. And I think the right people recognise that for sure. And I think people knew I could be called upon at any time and I'd be there to help. I may not know all the answers to everything, but I definitely went above and beyond to make sure I could help in any way I could. And... I helped all functional areas, even if it wasn't part of my job description, because at the end of the day, I just wanted the event to be successful and I just wanted Brisbane Stadium to be known for having, you know, put on an excellent show. So, and I think that was appreciated and I was very lucky to get a number of very good perks. <laughs> no, that is, that is amazing. That is unreal. Mm. That is so good. Mm. Before we move on from FIFA, uh, can you recall any one single interview question that they threw at you? Oh, uh, oh, one single question. Going back in the archive. I was going to say, is this really going back? I think because it was in a park when I was doing it too, I was so mindful of people around me that I feel like I've struggling to remember what actually went down but it was a very informal chat though it wasn't as an interview it was more like it was just going back and forth so there was supposed to be two people interviewing me but it ended up only being one who actually did the interview and we just we just literally chatted about what Mm. i've done and how i guess i think she was just getting her answers from obviously what i was saying because it wasn't like she'd say, name and time, you did this. Or it was it was just a two-way conversation. So I can't really think of anything, really. Mm. I think that's still great insight to know that two of the biggest organisations in sport mm. are hiring through casual conversations, mm. which like would say to anyone who's looking to break into the industry listening to this that being a good conversationalist and being a good people person is... Mm just as important an interview skill as knowing how to share your experience. Mm. And so um, um, I think all the, all the time and effort that you've put into getting to know people and chat with people and just be interested in people has uh, led you to sell yourself in these interview situations in incredibly well, which is probably not something that you'd expect when you're just trying to 
having casual conversation every day. So that, that's one thing that um that uh, I think maybe perhaps changing about the way recruitment happens in sport. Mm. No, I'd agree with you there, and I'm definitely taking that forward with my role currently in O'Brien Group because having a conversation with someone is not what not easy for people these days. I don't think, especially with COVID. I definitely see it with maybe 16 to 18 year olds coming through they're not so good at having face-to-face conversations especially growing up with technology like when I was in high school I didn't have like a cell phone every day or a laptop or you know we'd run home and have to do dial up MSN or (laughs) oh those were the days oh they were delightful but (laughs) I don't know we'd have to use a cell phone on a cell phone we'd have to use a landline and then be wherever we said we were going to be because we couldn't text them if we were running late or if, you know, the plans had changed. And so, yeah, it's been interesting to go through what it was like when I was younger, which wasn't even that long ago, and how things have changed. But having a being able to have a conversation is not something everyone can do. So, yeah, it's been a key, it's been a key skill that when I was younger was often frowned upon being chatty and, you know, talking to everyone and being a sticky beak. I think some people thought of it, but, hey, it's now turned out to be one of my greatest strengths. So there we go. Love it. I think it's one of the greatest greatest strengths that anybody can have. So don't don't change a thing. If it's getting your World Cup balls (laughs) and winning your jobs left, right and centre, I think you're you're onto (laughs) something. Be the sticky beak. I hope so. It's totally Mm. fine. (laughs) That's it. Well, just on that, you mentioned one great um, bit of advice for people to to get jobs. Um, You are now on the other side of the table and helping Mm -hmm. recruit people. Do you have any other best tips that you can give people um, when you are looking to hire a candidate? Yeah, I think one thing I have noticed that is paying off for some people I've been interviewing even this week is that there's a fine line between over researching or preparing for a role or and not I guess researching enough so obviously we want people to know who they're applying for like what company what organization we want them to know what role but you don't want them to come in and just rattle off something they've memorized or something that they've you know not put a lot of thought and I guess emotion or care into it so that's been something I've definitely reflected on and wanted to share with people that I want you to come in and be you. Like, I don't want someone to come in and be who they think I want them to be. Because as I think I've mentioned earlier, I highly value soft skills more than I do hard skills because things are changing rapidly. Like things I started learning in my masters a few years ago, they're not even relevant anymore. So soft skills are where it's at. So yeah, that's, that's definitely key. I love that. I think the, um, like what you said there around over preparing and memorizing answers and, and things like that, like it's often where people get stuck, you know, cause they think yeah. they have to memorize an answer or they think they have to know every single thing off by heart. It's like, <laughs> if you can just be as honest and authentic as you can and, and know your stuff, but by no means you need to memorize something and just regurgitate mm. it. Like that's the sweet spot. You want that yeah. good level of prep, but also not not be reading off a page and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, yeah it's, it's great advice. Um, speaking of interviewing people, uh, Rubes did say that you've gone to the other side of the desk, which is which is awesome. Um, what are you up to now with work and, and, and what does a day in the life look like for you? It is quite different to what I've been doing previously, but I have landed at the Gabba working for O'Brien Group Australia. So they are a hospitality entertainment organisation that is based all over Australia, which I had no idea, and even in New Zealand for over 30 years. So I'm the retail staffing coordinator for the Gabba. So basically all your fast food outlets and your quick beer bars and all those little 
uh, cafes that you see when you're walking around the ring road at the Gabba, all the staff there. That's uh, yeah, I'm in charge of about 700 or so of them. It's hard to keep track of how many oh. there is, but <laughs> yes, I'm in the process of hiring uh, new ones at the moment for the upcoming cricket season. So it's going to be a very hectic few weeks ahead. We just had the AFL finals. My first game was actually the finals games, so that oh. was a very big welcome <laughs> wow. to what's going on. So. Yeah, 30,000 passionate Lions fans was, yeah, we got, we got them fed, we got them watered, and everyone was very happy. Nice. See, that would, that would have been insane, like finals footy as your first game. The, the pressure's, yeah. <laughs> pressure's fairly high for that kind of event. So I, I can't was. believe they, they couldn't have just fed you sort of around 23 sort of pre-finals game, but timing sometimes doesn't work in your favour. I know. Well, I did fly to New Zealand the day after COVID, oh, COVID the day after oh, FIFA no. for a <laughs> Don't talk <holiday>. about it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I went for a holiday and then basically had to start, I think, the day after I got back or, or so. So it was very much hit the ground running, but I find I, I learned best that way anyway. So I thrive under pressure and basically, yeah, now it's a lot of rostering, a lot of phone calls, a lot of... Uh, uniform laundry servicing making sure you've got everyone everyone's requirements ready it's there's just a lot of people interactions either through physical interactions we do a lot of texting using software online and yeah it's good to learn all about calendly for my uh rostering for all my my interviews i've got 10 in a row tomorrow so let's see wow. how chipper I am at the end of <laughs> tomorrow's <laughs> session. But, but no, it's, it's cool to, to give a lot of high school students an opportunity as well. I'm really taking a different approach to, to many, I think. I think a lot of people wouldn't, un, wouldn't appreciate the size of the operation that goes on behind the scenes at a stadium because I've witnessed it at the MCG where if you go down to this door next to the outdoor cricket nets, there's like a secret entrance for all the hospitality <laughs> staff and all the retail staff. And you walk through there and you enter like this underground maze and there's just people everywhere. There's uniforms being handed out left, right, and center. There's people checking in, checking out. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a, there's like a city underneath <laughs> the stadium of people getting ready to service the 100,000 that are about to walk in and enjoy the game at the MCG. And I'm guessing every stadium would have something similar where, you know, all the staff have got to congregate somewhere, check in, and then go out to their stations. Like, the, the first time you saw that at the Gabba, what, what did you think of how an event comes together? Like, what's the operations like at yeah, Gabba? Yeah, it's a good way to put it, actually, uh, a little city underneath because it does feel like that. I have a I have a room under, I'm not sure where about actually it is, but it's near the the away team's dressing room. So that's where all the O'Brien casual staff come in. They come in to do their check-in process and get their uniform. And it was a huge eye-opener being in that room and seeing, what is it, 420 staff work for a full sellout crowd. So. That was a lot of a lot of bodies, <laughs> but um, what I think was the most eye-opening bit was there were more agency staff than regular O'Brien Group staff for those final games because unfortunately it clashed with the Broncos game, so staffing was a huge issue. So that's my second game. I don't know what's going on. I've hardly any staff, and we have all these agency staff who've never been there before and. The supervisors did an incredible job because a lot of them have worked at the Gabba for 10, 20 years and that's what they do every season. So it's I couldn't have done it without them. And it's a huge eye-opener, especially coming from Suncorp, where I know that stadium now inside out. But coming to the Gabba, it's like a little maze literally <laughs> underneath there. <laughs> Be more compact, the Gabba. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if, if what happens with it with the Olympics, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, well, hopefully mm. revamped and brand new mm. stadium, we'll see. Be good. Mm. Mm. Maddie, it's been wonderful uh, hearing all about the, the series of opportunities that you've been able to take on and, and just hear how, um, 
how proactive you've been about making your career change and um, and seeing the successes come at every stage. And now to have that ball in your room as well is quite incredible too. Before we let you go, is there any uh, last piece of advice you would have for uh, for another person trying to make a career change into the sports industry? I think I've probably got two. One would definitely be be a shark on LinkedIn, hundred percent. But I think also in saying that, <laughs> I've learned so much though from just because I used to commute five hours a day public transport from my role uh, down to the, my home in the Gold Coast from Broncos, and so I'd be scrolling on LinkedIn for hours, or I'd be listening to the Sports Grad podcast, and there's so much to learn on there. And I think if you are you know hesitant or uncertain or changing careers. There is so much to learn on there. There are so many people willing to help you out or and you don't have to connect with them. You can just follow them or you can even just search some keywords. So that would be a key uh, takeaway, but also volunteer. I, I know you guys preach about it so much and so does everyone else, but I could not speak more highly of getting out there and getting experience that way. And I think maybe because of my teaching degree and my practicums and all that, it's the best way to learn. It's the best way to meet people because I haven't even finished my master's and I've had plenty of amazing jobs. So it is all about, you know, who you know and the experiences that you do do partake in. So definitely don't under under appreciate the value that volunteering can provide for you and it's it'll pay off, I can guarantee it. Amazing. Before we wrap it up, Rubes, any other episodes relating to, to Maddie or membership or jumping into sport from other fields that people can listen to uh, at home? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we mentioned Maddie Ryan from the Carlton Football Club. She was only on a couple of episodes ago. Go back and have a listen to how she got her job at the, uh, the Carlton Football Club in memberships. Uh, she also made a career change from, from retail, um, fashion retail, that is. And um, another one is Kerry Gassner, going back to the early 200s in terms of episode number. Kerry is a former police officer, spent 15 years in the force before making a change to event management and, uh, and venue management, and now operates John Kane Arena in the Melbourne Sporting Precinct. And uh, before I went overseas, I had a coffee with Kerry and he was telling me about how he ran the Obama event in Melbourne. Barack Obama came to Melbourne and uh, put on a one-night show and, and uh, Kerry had the pleasure of uh, setting that up for him and, and um, yeah, running that event. So Kerry's another one, Maddie's a great one, and now this one as well. So there's plenty of options out there for those people looking to make a career change. Fantastic. Does he have the winning match ball, though? <laughs> no, that is something you have that nobody well, does. <laughs> I'll send you a photo. It, it, of it, funny you talk about uh, <laughs> funny you talk about uh, special memorabilia balls. Uh, Kerry put together. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. <laughs> Kerry put together a um, a a basketball that was imprinted with Obama Melbourne twenty twenty three or something like that. Not. And um, it was part of the setup that they did for his green room. So they knew uh, Obama loves basketball. So they set up the green room as like a basketball court, gave him a basketball jersey, gave him a, a hoop, gave him his own pair of shoes. I think they got Nike involved and just, just wanted to help him feel at home. And uh, so they left all this stuff there for him. And of course, you know, Obama gets stuff given to him everywhere he goes. So what Obama did was he signed the basketball and left it there. For the staff. So now Kerry and the Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust staff have got this Obama basketball sitting in their, in their office. Okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you compare those two? You got Obama and a basketball or the Matildas game ball from the quarterfinals and one of the biggest events in the history of, of Australian sport. Uh, but it just shows you some of the great things you can get through uh, through ring and sport. So how good's that? Mm. Brilliant, absolutely. Well, Maddie, it has been absolute pleasure having you on. And um, as we said, like we've we've loved watching your journey. You're one of the OG Sports Grab members, and we've loved having you part of our community. And I think 
you know, just watching you through the last couple of years, having known you, it's like you're always willing to help other people, uh, especially in Discord. We'd love that you continue to give back and, and help people who are looking to reach their own goals. Um, and you're just a great person to have in our community. So it's been great seeing your journey from the Broncos to FIFA to now O'Brien Group. Um, it's just been awesome for us to, to see that happen. So really enjoyed having you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming and uh, good luck with uh, the rest of the year. Thank you. No, I've loved being part of the community itself and you guys are definitely an inspiration and I wouldn't be where I am without you both. So the, the feelings are, are mutual. I look forward to seeing where the pro community takes us all this year. Guys, it's time now for the People's Segment, Ask Sportsgrade, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, you can become a Sportsgrade member at our website, sportsgrade.com.au slash community to join our next intake. And then you can add your question to our specific Discord channels, which can help you and your questions. Now, Rubes, this one comes from Claudia. I've gone into the archives here. Uh, and this question is, I have received an award at my footy club's presentation night and was wondering if this kind of thing would be good to include on my LinkedIn. It was nice to be recognized for my contribution to the club as a volunteer, but I'm not sure if this kind of award would be suitable for my profile um, or would it be more you know, something that I just leave off uh, and whatnot. So any insights would be awesome. Great question, Claudia. Great question. And firstly, congratulations on your contribution to the club and being recognized with an award. That's, um, that's fantastic to receive. Um, but I can totally understand your predicament because it's always difficult to know what you should and should not be posting on LinkedIn. So hopefully we can help you understand some of the fundamentals that will allow you to not only make a decision on this piece of uh, content, but anything else that comes up in the future. So Assuming that your goal is to get a job in the sports industry, there's a few things to keep in mind. Number one, to get a job in the sports industry, you have to differentiate yourself and you have to stand out. And the way that you can stand out is by having uh, greater networks than people as well as better experience than people. So if we focus on the experience part to help you differentiate yourself, you can volunteer for for a grassroots footy club and carry the water for the entire season. And at the end of it, you probably just say, I I volunteered for the club. And that's really all you've got to say for yourself. But if your experience involves taking on projects and creating an impact and generating a result that has a number attached to it, then that is now a very tangible example that you can take into an interview, that you can put into a LinkedIn post, that you can you know, talk about in conversations that you're having with people so that people can understand what you actually did and what you're capable of in the future. Those are the nuggets of gold that you can get from volunteering experiences that help you stand out to get a job in sport. So to help you answer your question about what should you post on LinkedIn with relation to this award, if you were to say, hey, I I got an award based on volunteering for my club, as a person who doesn't know you and that ju- and just sees that in my feed, I would look at that and say, oh, that's that's nice. You know, good on her. She's volunteered this year. I'm sure she did some great things, but um, I'm not really sure of the impact that she's made to, to get that award. If I was a potential employer looking at that post, what I would love to see that would make me want to keep you in mind and maybe even reach out to you and say, hey, there's an opportunity going in our organization. Have you seen it? You should apply is if you use that post to articulate what you did and the impact that you created. So sure, take the photo with the trophy and the committee and whoever else you want to thank, put that in there. But in the copy of your LinkedIn post, I would be talking about what was your role? What did you do for that season? And what was a quantifiable result of that? So did you volunteer as an event manager and you threw five events throughout the year that raised $25,000 for the club and got a total of 600 people in attendance for the club. If so, now if I'm hiring an event manager role, I can look at that and say, wow, you know, this person has done that at a grassroots level with little to no help. I'm sure she would be able to thrive in the environment that I've got. Or 
maybe you work in sponsorship and you were going out um, to local businesses to, to raise money or maybe you were working in sports science and helping the athletes um, you know, get stronger throughout the year. Whatever it is, I'd, I'd prefer to hear you articulate exactly what the impact you created was and then just add a photo with a trophy to it which kind of adds a bit of authority and, and social proof to what you're talking about. So with that in mind, you can now use that for anything that you do in the future. You don't need to wait for an award to come to you. If you volunteer and create an impact with a quantifiable result, you know, write that down, put in a LinkedIn post, remember it for your next interview as well. And then if there's any great photos that come along as well, that's that's just a bonus. So um, that's how I would be treating this opportunity to uh, get your name out there on LinkedIn. Awesome. Love that. And, uh, and well done, Claudia, on the award. Uh, it's always good to be recognized for your efforts as a volunteer. So it's a great work and great question. If you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, just sign up and become a SportsGrade member and hit us up with your questions. Every fortnight we hold virtual events, whether it be speed networking, masterclasses, job fairs, wherever it might be, uh, where it's an open floor for you to ask us or industry professionals any of your burning questions. And when you do join, you get immediate access to our library of exclusive content along with our private Discord server with over 650 other sports professionals. So get in and get involved. In the meantime, you can find us on LinkedIn. Give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show and subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join. 